No, Nick asked me last night if I'd uh, be able to come up and do the scripture reading this morning, and I really do find it quite the privilege that uh, he asked me to do so today. Um, it's, it's something that we do here at Timberline where when we read our scripture verse uh, in the morning before the sermon, um, we stand in reverence and in worship to the Lord. So I just ask that everyone stand with us. As uh, we go to Luke chapter 8, verse 22. We have a few verses to read, and as uh, Nick likes to allude to, if, if you can't make it the whole way, that's perfectly fine. Go ahead, have a seat, and then uh, we'll just continue to read the scripture. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and they were, there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the <laughs> Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there he met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them <clears throat> to depart into the abyss. Now a herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled and told him the city in the country. The Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So we got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, and they were all waiting for him. And there came a man from Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and fell at Jesus' feet. He implored him to come to his house, for he had only one daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you, and and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them, to tell no one what had happened. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the lessons, just speaking these words um, 
are giving to us right now, Father. We just ask that you open our hearts, open our minds to the words that you are going to feed through Nick the for this morning, Lord. We just ask that you continue to feed us, uh, help us to nourish us, and help us to grow with the meat of your word. We ask you these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Bill. No one's going to pick up the phone now when I call them on Saturdays. But that's okay. It was a lot, so I, I definitely had asked Bill to read, and it's a blessing just for me to be able to hear it read. Um, there's many observations that we could make if we, if we stand really close to a painting, just inches away. We, we could look at the type of brush strokes. We could look at um, the way the, the, the colors just, just mix just perfectly on a painting. But there's also great worth in just stepping back and looking at the, whole, looking at the picture as a whole. That's what we're going to do today with this text. Each of these passages that uh, Bill has read, we could easily have at least a sermon or more upon, but we're going to look at them as a whole and see what we can glean from. And one thing that stands out is Jesus has come, and he's bringing forth the kingdom, and he's teaching us about the kingdom. And so this morning, um, we're actually going to be making our way to chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. So this text is going to help us better understand as we move forward. And so we're going to observe six truths about the kingdom of God that I think, and there's probably many more, but at least six that Luke is laying out for us that Jesus actually has given us. And so I'm just going to walk through them. Um, Number one, uh, we see in the first story, we see that Jesus is sleeping in a boat while his disciples are fighting a great storm. Eventually, the disciples wake Jesus up, and he stands, and he rebukes the winds and the waves, and automatically everything is calm. The winds and the waves remember the voice that created them, and they instantly and obediently submitted to that voice. And so the first truth, the kingdom of God has authority and power over the natural forces of creation. Now, on a side note, I know when you look at your bulletin, you look at that little like handout, there's a lot of stuff there. Just know I took stuff out. All right? <laughs> I took stuff out. We're doing, uh, you know, I don't know, 40 or so verses, so it's easy to fill that bulletin up, but feel free or be thankful. It's not more full. Uh, but number one, the kingdom of God has authority and power over the natural forces of creation. In the second story, we see a naked man. He's filled with a legion of demons. He's unable to be contained. He breaks chains, and he continually flees through the desert. But when he sees Jesus, he automatically falls down before Jesus Jesus commands the demons to leave him, and instantly and obediently, they do so. And now the man sits clothed before Jesus in a right mind. So the second truth is, the kingdom of God has authority and power over the unseen spiritual forces of creation. The unseen spiritual forces. Then the next section, verses 40 through 56, we have two stories that are kind of intertwined into one. One story is we see a woman who's been sick for 12 years. She's spent all of her money trying to be well. All of her money, nobody is able to heal her. So obviously she has a a disease that is incurable. But by faith, she comes and she touches the garment of Jesus. And instantly she is healed. But because this woman came to Jesus, he was delayed in healing a little girl, which is the other story. Jairus' daughter who was sick, she has now died. But Jesus is not discouraged. He goes to the dead girl's house, tells her to rise, and instantly and obediently, she does so. So number three, the kingdom of God has authority and power over great sickness and death. Over great sickness and death. And so as we stand back and as we look at these passages, we see Jesus, who has this great authority, this great power, he's continually just helping people. He's coming, he's helping the needy, the sick, the demon-oppressed. And what we learn is that he doesn't necessarily do it for himself, but he does it so that people would better understand the kingdom, that they would glorify God. And so what we see is that in addition to demonstrating the power and authority of the kingdom, he's demonstrating the grace and mercy of the kingdom also. 
He's demonstrating the grace and mercy of the kingdom. And so we see the kingdom of God is full of love and mercy. Just regularly, he's demonstrating acts of love and mercy to others. In addition to power and authority and to love and to mercy, we see that the power of kingdom is beginning to right what is wrong. We see the demon oppressed are healed. We see, um, previous to this, we see lepers are healed. We see the blind people are healed. In this story, we see a dead girl is raised. We see a woman with an incurable disease is healed. So we see, the next truth, the kingdom of God reverses the effects of sin. And that's huge. The kingdom of God reverses the effects of sin. What we're beginning to see is like a new creation forming. We're seeing that taste of a new creation coming to be light. And lastly, we see that wherever Jesus goes, this power, this authority of the kingdom is with him. And so we see the kingdom of God is linked to the presence of Jesus, which makes sense because he's the king of the kingdom. <laughs> he represents the kingdom. He has all power and authority of the kingdom. So wherever Jesus is, we have his power and his authority there with him. So those are at least six truths. Probably could make many more. But obviously, as we've been making our way through Luke, he continually shows us truths about the kingdom. In this section, we're seeing many great truths about the kingdom. And in addition to that, he's also laying a groundwork for the necessity of faith. Regularly throughout these stories, we see this call for faith. And so I just want to walk back through these stories that we would see how Jesus is specifically calling for faith. In the first story, the one with the storm, Jesus rebuked the disciples for their lack of faith. Now remember, they, they see the storm, and it obviously was a great storm because these are professional fishermen, and they're scared. So this is a big storm, but they're full of fear. They think that Jesus doesn't love them or care for them. They have forgotten all that they have learned about the kingdom, about Jesus, and because of that, they're afraid. And so Jesus, in 8.25, he rebukes them and calls for them to have faith in him. So I want to encourage you, just as we're here and we're looking at this, do not think that Jesus has left you um, or does not care about you when the difficult times arise. It's at those moments he's building your faith, which is what he's doing in the disciples. It's at those moments we are to remember all that Jesus has done And so that we would continue to trust him, knowing he's going to continue to work for us. He's going to continue to display his great acts of love and grace and mercy. Hard times don't mean Jesus is not with us. Number two, Jesus commended the woman for her faith. Remember the woman who has been sick for 12 years? In in chapter 8, 48, he turns to the woman and he says, it is your faith that has healed you. It's because she has faith. She was not healed because Jesus' garments are magical, because they're made different than what you and I wear. He was just wearing normal clothing. She was healed because she had faith in Jesus that he had great power and authority to heal her. She fought through the crowds, an unclean woman going through clean people, which would not happen, fighting to get to the only person she knew could save her. She came to Jesus because she had faith. She experienced his power and was healed. It was because of her faith that she experienced the power of the kingdom. And we also, by faith, can regularly experience the kingdom of God and the power of it. But let me add a quick disclaimer, a word of caution. This is a descriptive text. Let us always be aware of what kind of text we're reading. This is descriptive. It is not saying every single person who is ever sick will automatically be healed on this earth. Never is that promised. What we do see is the power of the kingdom that Jesus represents, that he's the king of, can heal every single disease. But this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Prescriptive would be all who come by faith will always be healed. That's not what it says. But we do see That when we pray by faith, God may heal us. He may. He may use the sickness as a means to testify to others through his great power of healing. Or he may use it as a means of showing his grace and persevering us through the sickness. But what we do see is that Jesus has great power and authority. And the woman comes to him in faith and is healed. 
The third mention, we have Jesus encouraged Jairus to have faith. And this is the, the one that I think is, well, I think they're all remarkable, but this one, this one hits me a little more. We see the sick girl has died. Jesus has delayed in coming. He did not operate in Jairus' time frame. He came to Jesus when the sick girl was, when, when she was sick. It's obvious that, that she could be helped now, but now imagine the news he has. She is dead. He now is hopeless, discouraged. He's frustrated. He knows it's too late. There is no chance. And Jesus turns to him in chapter 8, verse 50, and says, Do not fear, only believe she will be well. Now just, just think, especially dads, think. How would you have responded? And then just imagine, Jesus starts walking to your house. What's he going to do? <laughs> like, I mean, there has to be the sense of anticipation when he says, do not fear, only believe, she will be well. And then he starts walking to her house, most likely. And Jairus is just going, this is, I'm, I'm following. And we see that Jesus raises the girl to life. Jesus is showing he has the power to save, to heal, to give life. And we are not to try to place him in our boxes, our time boxes, or whatever boxes, constraints that we like to put on him. Because if you are a Christian, and and you've been a Christian for uh, some period of time, then you know this. If you're new to Christianity, let me introduce you to this truth. And if you have no idea, uh, or maybe you've known this truth, let me remind you of this truth. Jesus, more times than not, does not operate in our time frame, right? Like, he usually doesn't. (laughs) We all love when he does. We all pray that he does. But he usually says, well, actually, I have a little bit better timing. And the reason he does that is so we have faith in him. He's not just a slot machine. We pray, pull the lever, get what we want. But we pray and we trust that he will operate in his timing. So let us not be discouraged when things don't go right in our timing, but let us continue to trust in his timing. So these stories are all demonstrating truths about the kingdom. They're all a call for faith in Jesus. So what's the point? What has been the point of just proclaiming the kingdom, of performing all of these demonstrations of power and authority? And I think we could come up with at least three, probably more. But one reason is that people would believe in him and be saved. Surely that's one reason that as people are witnessing these displays of power and authority, hearing the words of Jesus, that they would trust in him and be saved. A second reason is that we, 2,000 years later, would also come to faith and glorify God and continue to grow in our faith as we read these stories and see how Jesus has power over all things. But a third reason, and this is one we're going to focus on, he was preparing his disciples to go proclaim and demonstrate the power and authority of the kingdom. Jesus has performed countless miracles and said many things about the kingdom in order for the disciples to grow in their faith and knowledge in him He's building their faith. He's preparing them for sending out. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read chapter 9, 1 through 6. We'll stay seated. It says, chapter 9, verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever, you, and wherever they do not receive you, when, they leave from that, when you leave from that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So, so what is it that Jesus gave the disciples? Well, he gave them power, and authority. What does that mean? You ever think about that? What does that mean? Just all of a sudden, disciples possess infinite power that is able to heal all diseases? Well, yeah! How? What just took place here? I believe what we have is that Jesus has given the disciples the Holy Spirit. This is the giving of the Spirit. Let me just show how we can come to that conclusion. 
In Luke chapter 4, 1, and you can write, these are in your bulletin, we see the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, empowering him for ministry, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he would battle Satan and overcome Satan. Then in chapter 4, 14, we're told Jesus returns to Galilee where he will do ministry in the power of the Spirit. In chapter 4.18, Jesus quotes Isaiah saying that the Spirit has come upon him that he would proclaim the kingdom of God. At the end of the book, in Luke chapter 24, verse 49, we come across part of the text which we would say is the Great Commission at the end of Luke, where Jesus is going to send his disciples out, and this is what Jesus says. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The promise of the Father and the being clothed with power from on high refers to the Holy Spirit who will come and permanently and dwell the believers and empower them for ministry. In Acts chapter 1-8, we see the fulfillment of this, and it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what we see is that power is always associated with the presence of the Spirit. The the Spirit's not just power. He's not just, just this force, but he is a person who has great power because he is God. So when Jesus gave the disciples power and authority, what he's doing, he's giving them the Holy Spirit, that they would be indwelled by the Spirit. Because never once do we see anyone in Scripture wielding the power of God apart from the presence of God. Never once do we have that in Scripture. We have someone wielding the power of God, being indwelt, somehow not being indwelt by the Spirit, but having the, Spirit, the power of the Spirit. All who demonstrate the power of God have been indwelt by the Spirit of God. So what's the purpose of this giving, of the giving of the Spirit, that they would have power and authority? Well, it's to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom. That's verse 2. The disciples have been given the Spirit to proclaim the very news that Jesus came to proclaim. They were proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God who has come forth bringing the kingdom. So they're proclaiming the kingdom of God. Look at verse 6. Now, we're told that they go forth and they're preaching the gospel. Well, wait a minute. Are they proclaiming the kingdom or are they proclaiming the gospel? Which is it? Is Luke confused? Well, no. This is, this is important as Christians for us to understand. To proclaim the gospel is to proclaim the kingdom. They're not the same, but they're integrally linked with one another. Last week, we said the kingdom is God's, peop- is God's people under God's rule in God's place. Do you remember that? That God is forming a people who will submit to his rule in love and humility and live in God's place. We saw that in Genesis 1. That's, that's broken up in Genesis 3 when sin comes into the world. But then when we fast forward all the way to the end of Revelation and we have the city of God, we have the people of God in God's place under God's rule. And so... Jesus, the king of the kingdom, has come purchasing a people for his own possession, and he does this in the gospel. The way the kingdom is made up of a people who will submit to God's rule and live in God's place is through the gospel. That's how we have the people of the kingdom. Because at the cross, Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, offering forgiveness for all who will believe in him, that they would be saved become children of God. Remember earlier, uh, last week we also saw all who have faith in Jesus become part of the family of God so that we become citizens of the kingdom and live with him forever. So the kingdom has come, which is what Jesus has come bringing, and the gospel is the way in which all people who believe in him will come and be a part of the kingdom for eternity. So they're not the same thing, but they're integrally linked with one another. Does that kind of make sense? We're going to be in Luke for a long time. All he talks about is the kingdom and the gospel. So we will reiterate it many, many more times. So what we have here is the Spirit has been given that Jesus would be proclaimed the Savior who has come forth bringing the kingdom of God. That's why the Spirit's here. 
But he hasn't only come that they would proclaim the kingdom. We also see that they're called to heal, heal diseases, cure diseases, and cast out all demons. So they're here to demonstrate the kingdom of God also. Disciples have been indwelt by the Spirit, not only to proclaim, but also to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Now, why are they called to demonstrate the kingdom of God? Well, one, it validates the message of the kingdom. They're coming forth saying, this is the king, and this is the kingdom above all other kingdoms. If you believe in him, you'll be part of this kingdom, which will reign forever. Really? How do I believe that? And then the display of miracles, which are meant to help those have faith that then they would glorify God and they would see that this is the true kingdom. So that's, that's one way. It also shows that this is a kingdom which overcomes sin and which one day will eradicate all sin. And there will be no sin in the kingdom of God. So we have for the demonstration, for the, we have them demonstrating the power and authority of the kingdom to validate the message of the kingdom. And so what's the result? I love this. In 9.6, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They did it. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Like, he said, I'm giving you power and authority. Go proclaim, heal diseases. And they did it. Like, <laughs> it's so, like, simple, right? It's so awesome. Like, they just, they went and they obediently did so. And what we have is that they're actually proclaiming the kingdom and healing diseases everywhere, thus proving they have the power and authority of the kingdom with them. That's amazing. I don't think you're getting this. <laughs> like, this is amazing. So we have a new truth about the kingdom. We just came about number seven. We had six. Now we have seven. This is love numbers. Love, love lists. Another truth. So, so right, this might be written down. I don't know. I deleted some things. You know, I had to make room. The power and authority of the kingdom is linked to those who have faith in Jesus. Now get this. Before, wherever Jesus goes, the power and authority of the kingdom is with him. Heals all diseases. Now, he's given the spirit, which we also know is the spirit of Christ. He gives them the spirit who now empowers them with the authority and power of the kingdom that the disciples are going forth, bringing the power and authority of the kingdom wherever they go, that they would heal all diseases and cast out all demons. No longer is the kingdom power and authority only linked to the presence of Jesus in the sense of physical, but it's also linked to all who have faith in Jesus. That's amazing. The disciples have been given the spirit that they would have the power and authority so as they go forth from Jesus, they still have his power and authority wherever they go. Now get this. They had no official training. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't even have Sunday school. <gasps> there was no Wednesday night Bible study. They didn't have years. I mean, they didn't even have years of preparation. Just took out all of our excuses. <laughs> like they had none of these things. But they had been equipped and empowered by Jesus through the giving of the Spirit. And because they had faith in Jesus and possessed the Spirit, they were able to go forth and obey and proclaim and heal. It's amazing truth that we have here. And because we have the gospel of Luke before us, and many of us know kind of the other gospel accounts, we, we know that this, te this text is really a foretaste of the Great Commission to come. It's really just a, a foretaste. And we, we kind of looked at the Great Commission at the end of Luke. We didn't look at all of it, but we looked at part of it. But let me read the one from Matthew. And I know many of you are familiar with this, but just be thinking about all that we've had here in Luke. And now, now let's skip over to the end of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, this is what Jesus says to the disciples, to the church, to all believers. And he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Okay, we, we get that. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It's kind of similar, isn't it? It's what happened in Luke chapter 9. 
He has his disciples before him. He sends them out in power and authority that they preach and demonstrate the kingdom. And now he turns to all the disciples again and the message goes on to all believers and the church as a whole saying, I charge you to go forth, make disciples. And I'm doing so with my power and authority. So when you go, you're taking my power and authority with you. It's the same that we have earlier, but now Jesus is addressing the church as a whole. So again, we see Jesus has all authority, all power. It's because he's not only a king of a region, of a country, of some type of small land mass, but he's the cosmic king. He's a king over all creation. And we're commissioned by Jesus, by the king, by the cosmic king, to go forth and proclaim the gospel to all nations. And as we go... We proclaim the gospel. We also know we're proclaiming the kingdom because they're integrally linked. We can't separate those. And so just as the disciples went forth in chapter 9 in the authority and power of Jesus, so do we. Just as they were empowered by the Spirit, so are we. The New Testament is clear. Every believer is empowered and indwelt by the Spirit for the work of God. Just as the disciples in the first century became missionaries when they received the Spirit, so is every believer in Jesus Christ a missionary. And so if you're here and you say, well, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, great, you're a missionary. Did you know that? You are a missionary. You have been equipped and empowered in the same way the first century disciples were, and get this, as Jesus was. It was the Spirit coming upon Jesus in the beginning of Luke, which then brought him and empowered him for the ministry that he would do. The same Spirit indwells you and me with the power and authority of the King that we would go proclaim the King and his kingdom. That's that's what we have happening here. Now, this is, I think, where some of us like to fall into a pitfall when we say things like this. Well, if I had saw Jesus calm the storms... I would be pretty bold too. If I had seen Jesus transform a naked, uncontrollable, uncontainable, demon-possessed man, I, I would be pretty bold too when I would go out. If I had seen Jesus heal an incurable disease, I, I would totally go out. I'd be much more bold. If I had seen Jesus bring a little girl back to life, look, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'd be bold too. But let me remind you, there are many who saw these miracles and did not believe in Jesus. There are many who saw. So just the mere seeing of miracles does not produce faith. Remember, every week we said there's a hearing that we all do, and then there's the spiritual hearing that we're called to do, the good soil, the one that hears and responds. Not all seeing actually see and hear the gospel. See, the disciples were not an elite group of Jews. They were somehow predispositioned to understanding greater things about Jesus and therefore going and and proclaiming the news. The only reason they followed Jesus, obeyed Jesus, went out as missionaries in Jesus is because they had faith in Jesus. That's why. It's because they had faith in Jesus and therefore were empowered by the Spirit. It was because of their faith they saw, it was because they had faith, when they saw the miracles, they knew it testified to who Jesus really was. It was because of their faith in Jesus that they believed his words and understood him to be the Son of God, which is exactly what next week, as we go on through chapter 9, Peter's going to say. Peter's going to proclaim, you are the Son of God. So the reason they went out as missionaries is because they had faith in Jesus and were empowered by the Spirit. And so when we, at the end of, so when Jesus says at the end of Matthew as disciples, as believers, we go, we're to go and make disciples. He says this to all who have faith and are indwelt by the Spirit. We're not basing, and get this, I love this, we're not only basing our proclamation of the gospel on the fact that Jesus healed a woman, calmed storms, or even rose a dead person from the grave. Those are all great things. Those all provide evidence for who he is. But that's not the primary thing we proclaim. Because of where we stand in history, on the latter side of the cross, we proclaim the cross. 
That is the central part of our message, meaning we proclaim the one who came, not only doing all those things in his life, but going to the cross, dying on the cross, raising again from, raising from the dead three days later, thus conquering sin, death, and Satan. We're proclaiming the one who has conquered all enemies, the one who has shown his kingdom is greater than any other kingdom, and offering forgiveness for all who believe in him. See, the disciples, they were strengthened in their faith because they saw the miracles of Jesus. But the disciples and we as well are much more strengthened by the fact Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, proving he's the Son of God and who brought forth the kingdom of God. So don't think the disciples are just... I mean, it was great to see the visible Jesus here. It was great. We all would have loved to have had that but required faith also. Still required faith. The same thing that it requires today is faith and the empowering of the Spirit, which we, which we have if we believed in Jesus Christ. So I want, to, I want to just say a few ways how we're supposed to go out and proclaim the kingdom. And we're going to go through these somewhat quickly because I, I added a new conclusion to the end of this message today because I can do that. Um, so number one, we go into the world by faith, proclaiming the kingdom of God, that Jesus is the king. So what I mean is, by faith, we trust in the words of Jesus. By faith, we trust in the words of Jesus more than the natural forces we see in this world. By faith, we trust in Jesus when it seems like the timing is all wrong. And we do this because he's the cosmic king with all power. Number two, we go into the world with boldness, proclaiming the kingdom of God because we are sent by the authority and power of the king. Do not miss this. We do not go out in our power. We go in the power of the one who owns and who made and who sustains everything. That's the one we go out in the power of. We go forth in the power of the cosmic king. This is why we have no need, no need to fear man, no ISIS terrorist group, no North Korean dictator, not even death, because none of those things can separate us from the king. That's why we can be so bold. That's why when we see the church is launched in Acts, and it, and it goes forth proclaiming the kingdom and the gospel in great adversity, they don't back down. Stephen's proclaiming the kingdom as the rocks are flying at him because he knows nothing separates him from the kingdom. Nothing separates him from the kingdom. We go into the world with confident hope proclaiming the kingdom of God because we know the king will return and bring forth his kingdom in all its glory. So in case you don't know, missionary work is temporary work. hope you all know that. Missionary work is temporary work. When we die or when Christ returns, whichever happens first, our missionary days are over. We proclaim the kingdom, what the king has done. Um, We proclaim the king, what the king has done, and his kingdom. But when he comes, proclamation is over, and all that's left is celebration, worship. That's all that will take place. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So we go forth proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom so others would come to know Christ, worship God, so when the days of proclamation are over, we would all experience celebration together with God for eternity. Just you know, it's limited. We know He is returning. Do you know Christ is returning? excited that Christ is returning? Number four, we go into the world empowered and equipped, proclaiming the kingdom of God because we have been given the Spirit of God. So never, 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 never forget you have the Spirit of God in you. And I know it's like, oh, you just reiterated that. Like, yeah, because what do we do? We forget constantly. Never forget the Spirit of God is in you. You don't need any other training. Now, 
don't get me wrong. Training is great. It's extremely beneficial. Spirit often uses that as a means of equipping us. However, do not think that we have to have some specific type of training to be missionaries. What you need is God's word, faith in God's word, and the spirit, and you are a missionary of Jesus Christ. You are abundantly and sufficiently equipped. If you doubt so, look at the disciples in the first century. In chapter 9, they simply go out. They've seen what Jesus has done. They've heard his message. They proclaim. We have seen what Jesus has done. We've heard what Jesus said. Therefore, we go and we proclaim what he has said and done. Never underestimate the power of the Spirit who is in you, empowering you and equipping you to obey. Never underestimate the power of the Spirit. And I know that even as I say that, there are some of you who are going, I know I'm not really a missionary. There are some of you going, there is no way I could actually do that. You're doubting the Spirit already. I'd say repent. Repent of that mindset now because that's sin. The Spirit has been given to you that you would proclaim the kingdom of God and its gospel. And I know some of you are going, you're trying to reject it, saying no. I'm not a missionary. Those are people we pay. That's the pastor. Those are certain people. Some of you just want to deny it. Nope, I don't think that's actually true. Um, Some of you are looking for a loophole. Well, I guess I could be a missionary. I just won't actually ever use words. Huh. I mean, how that works. How many people hear the gospel without words? I'm not saying it's easy being a missionary. Not saying that at all. But I am saying That by faith in Jesus, you have been given the Spirit of God, and therefore you are abundantly and sufficiently equipped to share the gospel and the kingdom with others. And do not miss the fact that God has chosen the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom to be accomplished through his people. It's through the church the message goes forth. There is no other way. There is no other way. It is through the church, and it seems foolish. I know, it seems foolish. Until we begin to realize the power of the Spirit who's working in us. So let me close. Let me give, there's there's two ways we could illustrate this. We could talk about global missions, which we need to do more global missions. We need to be more aware of what's happening globally. We definitely need to be more involved there. We are all called to go. Many of us are called to go overseas. We should all be constantly asking and praying, God, are you leading me? Is this an opportunity? So, yes, we are all called to missions. Many of us overseas, all of us called to support overseas missions. But I want to focus on domestic missions today. Because this is in our backyard. This is what we can do at every moment. And you can begin practicing this today. That's why. That's why I'm not saying this one's greater. I'm not de-emphasizing the other one. I'm simply emphasizing this one because we can actually do this today, right now, as we leave this building. And so I'll, I'll give an illustration, example. Yes, Friday I met with Bill. We had coffee. We love having coffee together. It's a highlight of my week. The coffee and Bill. Sometimes, you know... I, but no, it's <laughs> coffee and bill? No, priceless. Uh, that's just weird. So after, after he leaves, and I'm still gathering my stuff together, one of my friends come in. We'll call him Carl. And Carl's a believer. And uh, we, we just started talking. And he, he was actually, he's a pastor also. He's preaching in our church. And I said, what are you preaching on? He's like, I'm preaching on the love of God. And he was talking about how he's working with uh, their kind of gospel community groups, uh, their small group system. And uh, we're talking about that, how we're loving other people, how that looks. And so he starts saying, man, I got got this praise. So I moved to where I am about a year ago, and I have this neighbor called Jason. And Jason quickly let me know he's an atheist. Quickly let me know. I have no desire to know anything about your Christianity. You have that neighbor? Some of you don't even know your neighbor. Um, Some of you are like, yeah, I've heard of a guy like that. So this is, Jason's his neighbor, atheist, has no care about Christianity. So Carl just makes it his, um, just decides, he wants to love on him 
because he's made in the image of God and he wants him to be loved and hopefully one day receive the gospel. So he just begins loving on him. Every, every, every opportunity he has, when, when Jason's outside, Carl walks over, starts talking to him. When he comes home, Jason's outside, they talk. They begin developing a friendship, do small little things, have each other over at their houses. But Carl has, oh, Jason has said, look, I don't want anything to do with your Christianity. Um, and the, the relationship continues to progress. And then one day, Carl, or Jason has his 40th birthday and invites Carl over. There's beer, of course, everywhere. So what does Jason do? Or what does Carl do? He drinks with him, because that's what a good missionary does. He drinks with them. Doesn't get drunk, but he drinks with them. He doesn't condemn them. He drinks with them. And he begins developing a relationship even more. And at that moment, it seems like just walls were broken down. And they began having more talks. And Jason began asking more about Christianity, more about what it is that you actually believe. They went out to pizza, just kind of broke down, told them about marriage, told them about life, stuff like that. And then one day, or even before this, uh, this was neat. Jason actually went to church with Carl. He said, you know, I, I, I want to go. So he goes. Now again, this is the guy who says he's an atheist. He wants nothing to do with God or the gospel. We can be neighbors. That's it. And now he's saying, I, I want to go and gather with your church and see, see what this is all about. So he goes, probably super uncomfortable for the guy, because if you're not a believer and you've never been in like this type of setting, it could be weird. Um, I get that. So he comes in, relationship continues to further. One day, Carl gets a text. And the text says, um, my mom's in the hospital. She's about to die. Um, we're all, the whole family's here, all, you know, brothers, sisters, everyone. We're all here. We need help now. And, and so uh, Jason, or Carl comes, and, you know, he knows everyone is atheist. Everyone is atheist. So he walks up to, to Jason. He says, what do you want me to do? Like, what is your expectation right now? He goes, man, we just need help. Just comfort us. Help us right now. So he does. He shares the gospel, shares the gospel with the mother, is able to end up sharing the gospel with the family member. Some are probably, you know, somewhat like, who is this guy? Why is he sharing the gospel? But Jason's still sitting there just milking it. I mean, just, just drinking it in. Um, our conversation got interrupted at this moment. But all I know is that Jason has not believed yet in Jesus Christ, but he's moving closer to the kingdom. And it's because a person who has faith in Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, takes the word of Jesus, believes in it, says, I know that by faith we're made missionaries in Jesus Christ, called to love one another, called to share the gospel, and that's what he's doing. It's been about a year and a half now. And as I was leaving, Carl was just like, it's getting close though. It's getting close and that, all of us can have a story like that. Like, there's nothing super amazing about what he's done. He simply was a friend of the guy. Simply loved on him, used words as much as he could to, 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 to demonstrate, to, to proclaim the gospel, to tell what it is. Never backed away from the gospel. Never compromised the gospel. Continued just to put that forth and let the gospel actually motivate him in his love for his neighbor, that he would pray with him, or pray for him, pray for him with his family. And it's amazing. And, and probably, in some short period of time, I wouldn't be surprised when I run into Carl again that Jason's going to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because often what happens is we're attracted to the community of believers before we're attracted to the message of believers. So we need to be out there with the Spirit of God, by faith, doing acts of love and grace and mercy and power and authority of the kingdom that people would hear, and giving the gospel as much as we can, praying for them all that we can. I mean, imagine if we did that. Just imagine. Let's say we're a hundred or so people in, in here, and we all begin practicing and just throwing it out there. If we all have two neighbors in three years of, of of witnessing, of sharing the gospel, one of them each comes to know Christ. That's a hundred more people in the kingdom. And then three years more from there, that could be 400 people in the I mean, just, just thinking, it's not that we have to go share the gospel and tomorrow they're all going to be saved. Love for that to happen. Love for that. So often it takes, it takes time, a year, a year and a half, two years, two and a half years, three years. 
It can take time. Some of you know it's been 10, 20 years before someone came to know Christ. But we've been given the Spirit of God, equipped by the Spirit, abundantly equipped by the Spirit, sufficiently equipped by the Spirit, that we might go forth and proclaim the gospel. And so I want to encourage you, as, as our faith family, let us do that. Let us, let's by faith, trust in the Spirit. And love those whom God has placed around us. Actively love those whom God has placed around us. And I think last week I said, you know, often we need to come. Every time, every time we open the word of God, we need to repent. Um, I imagine all of us, including me, we need to repent of not sharing the gospel. Of not trusting in the spirit. And so as we close, I'm going to pray. And I encourage you to pray with me. I pray... If you're a believer and you know that you have not been sharing the gospel, I just, I just repent. God, help me in my unbelief. And let's just go forth in faith, empowered by the Spirit. Our Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that you do not ask us to go forth and spread the gospel of the kingdom in our power and our authority, but you save us by faith. You equip us and empower us by your Spirit that we would go forth all as an act of your grace. And God, I confess that I know that much of my Christian life, I have not lived by faith in trying and trusting you to tell others about you. I've made many excuses. And Father, I ask for forgiveness. I don't want to miss opportunities, God. I want to love everyone you have placed in my life with a life that, with a love that comes from you because you have empowered me. You have transformed me. Your spirit is in me that I would love as you do. And I pray that I trust in you that I would love. And God, I ask that you transform lives around me. And I pray that you transform lives around us as your church, that we would all go forth proclaiming your kingdom. And God, may you grow your kingdom. Father, we thank you for all that you do. In your name, Jesus, amen.